You are now listening to What the Health, a podcast dedicated to helping you navigate your way to better health. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 91 of What the Health. I'm your host, Lena Lahire, and today I have joining me special guest Heidi Turner. Heidi Turner is an integrative registered dietitian nutritionist at her telehealth-based private practice, FoodLogic, or foodlogic.org, located in Tacoma, Washington. Heidi specializes in complex health issues including SIBO, autoimmune conditions, histamine intolerance, mast cell activation syndrome, and food chemical sensitivities. She spent 12 years at the Seattle Arthritis Clinic at Northwest Hospital University of Washington, where she counseled thousands of rheumatology patients on ways to reduce inflammation through dietary change and manipulation of the microbiome. She is the co-creator of the Low Histamine Biphasic Diet with Dr. Narala Jacobi, sits on the Medical Advisory Board for the Ruscio Institute, and is a faculty member for the Integrative Functional Nutrition Academy. She has guested on multiple podcasts and professional conferences discussing histamine and chemical food intolerances. Heidi earned her master's degree from Bastyr University in Kenmore, Washington, and completed her dietetic internship at Virginia Mason Medical Center. She lives in the Washington State area with her husband, son, and devoted cats. In this episode, Heidi discusses what MCAS and histamine intolerance are, the symptoms associated with each condition, conventional treatments, alternative or more natural treatments, and the many root causes that underlie something as complex as you will see that MCAS is. It's more of a general discussion, but one that I think will turn on light bulbs for many of you. I know that I have many listeners who struggle with their health or with chronic conditions, and often MCAS could be a participating factor. While the information contained in this episode is not intended to treat or diagnose, I hope it will offer some insight to those who need it. It was an absolute pleasure to have Heidi share her knowledge and experience, and I know you're going to love this episode. So without further ado, let's get into today's show. Welcome to the show, Heidi. Lena. <laughs> Thanks for having me. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. I'm super excited to have you on. Um, and I know that I only get to have you for an hour. We could probably talk all day about histamine and MCAS. So let's just jump right in because we have a lot to cover. Yeah. For those listeners that don't know what histamine intolerance is or what MCAS is, could you just give like a Coles notes version to each of those? <laughs> sure. sure. Yes. Let's start with, um, hmm. let's start with mast cell activation. So I think that might kind of lead a little bit more into the histamine intolerance aspect of things. So okay. we'll start there. So I think uh, one of the more important things to know is what even a mast cell is. And then we could talk about what mast cell activation is, but I'll try not to take an hour to, to explain this. I'll just kind of, you know, lay it out. But 
And for those of you that don't know, when we say MCAS, that's what we're saying is mast cell activation syndrome. You got it. MCAS, mast cell activation syndrome. So the mast cell is basically just part of our immune system um, that regulates a number of different biochemical uh, processes in our body. It regulates sleep, digestion, hormones, but it also regulates our immune system as well. And, um, and I think most famously mast cells are more responsible for say like allergies. Like if we have an allergy to say like pollen or peanut or something like that, our mast cells are there to respond. There are our frontline immune responders. And so let's say we eat the peanut that we're allergic to the mast cell is going to be the one that's going to be like, all right, get it. Something's wrong. And it's going to go to it. And when it connects to that peanut, it's going to explode. And that degranulation of that mast cell secretes like hundreds of different immunomodulators. And those immunomodulators are there to kind of help protect and create inflammation and like do everything that they need to do in order to like, you know, deal with the offender that's coming through. So that's what, you know, so they're there to protect. uh, They're there to regulate. They're a lovely, nice, balanced part of our immune system and we need them to survive. So I want to make sure before we start talking about (laughs) the problems of mast cells, we want to acknowledge that mast cells are very beneficial as Mm -hmm. well and important for our survival. So um, when we are working with something called mast cell activation syndrome, what we're working with is that mast cell um, kind of uh, goes rogue, basically. So instead of just reacting to the peanut coming through, it starts to react to other more benign stimuli. So that could be in response to a highly stressful event. That could be in response to a food coming through. That could be in response to whatever, you know, something, anything that it perceives to be a smell in some people, Mm -hmm. anything that it perceives to be problematic, even if it's not something that actually could, you know, do us harm, it will actually do that same thing and explode and build immune reactivity. And that immune reactivity can be quite, you know, intense on the body because it creates a lot of inflammation and reactivity and all the places where these chemicals that are released and one of which is histamine, all those uh, chemicals start to kind of uh, interact with all of our systems and they start to create all of these symptoms that are associated with say histamine or other types of immune modulation. So more inflammation in the body, basically. Mm -hmm. So some of us might experience more allergies because we might associate histamine, which is one of the primary chemicals that those mast cells secrete. We'll get a lot of histamine going in our body and histamines are more responsible for kind of like allergy type of symptoms, like snotty, sneezy, you know, kind of things, coughing, um, asthma e type of things, um, hive, hive yeah. yeah, like urticaria, things like that, where we kind of might notice that in relation to like allergy, but histamine can also kind of create a lot of anxiety in the body. It can create heartburn. It can create a lot of digestive issues. It can kind of create a lot of other, you know, sleep issues, insomnia kind of turns the body on. Mm. So if we're working with something called mast cell activation syndrome, what's happening is benign stimuli triggering that mast cell, the mast cells exploding, creating all these other kind of molecules that are creating inflammation. Histamine is one of them. And that starts to create these symptoms that don't, you're not entirely sure what's going on, right? Why am I so anxious all the time? I'm not an anxious person. Why can't I sleep? Why am I itching all the time? Why am I snotty sneezy? Why can't I tolerate that food? All of a sudden we start to get more chronic inflammation going on without really knowing why. That's more of your kind of like mast cell activation syndrome 
And it can be chronic and it can be daily and it can be anywhere from mild to moderate to severe where all of those, you know, symptoms are just getting in the way of any sort of, you know, ability to enjoy life. (laughs) So that's like mast cell activation syndrome. Histamine intolerance, I'll just kind of pivot over to there, is remember histamine is secreted by that mast cell. And, um, and so when histamine is utilized in a number of different, you know, kind of biochemical processes, well, um, histamine, let me come over to, uh, to, to the digestive tract, because the digestive tract is one of the areas that really gets hit when we're working with uh, histamine mediated issues like MCAS or histamine intolerance. Mm-hmm. And um, histamine is interesting in that, yes, it's a, a chemical that, you know, regulates uh, allergy and things like that. But we also can find histamines in our foods, specifically, and we might not realize that, that we, a lot of the foods that we take in actually contain histamine, uh, things like um, uh, ferments, um, sauerkrauts, kimchi, vinegars, things like that, aged cheese, aged meats, um, things like also tomatoes or avocados or spinach, really healthy foods that we're sort of encouraged to eat contain a lot of histamine. And our body has learned how to, it's developed an enzyme in our gut to break that histamine down so that when we take it in, we don't flood our gut with a bunch of histamine, which we've learned thus far is problematic. <laughs> and so our gut has kind of learned how to uh, deal with all of that and break it down and, you know, so that we can enjoy those foods without creating a lot of allergy in our body or reactivity in our body. When we have a lot of intestinal inflammation, and this might not necessarily be related to MCAS, but it could be from other reasons, which I'm sure we'll be getting to, bacterial overgrowth or things like that. If we have a lot of intestinal inflammation going on, what can happen is um, the enzyme that we use to break down those dietary histamines, it's called diamine oxidase or DAO. DAO gets depleted. And so we can't build as much. And so if we have that intestinal inflammation, we're taking in really high levels of histamine foods and we don't have the DAO to help break it down. It's like putting, it's like eating a ton of histamine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're just kind of pouring it into our body. And if we can't break it down, it's either going to have exert some effect in the digestive tract and create more reactivity, or we're going to actually absorb it into our system, into our bloodstream. And that's going to trigger all the different places. All It'll attach to those little histamine receptors throughout the body, trigger anxiety, allergy, all of that kind of stuff. So that's a little different. And then mast cell activation, that's a more of a, a depletion. It's an intestinal inflammation and a depletion of that DAO that, uh, that, and so when we interact with that dietary histamine, that can create more issues. And for some people who have MCAS, they have histamine intolerance. And for some people with histamine intolerance, they have MCAS. And then some people with MCAS don't have histamine intolerance. And some people with histamine intolerance don't have MCAS because they are two different things that they kind of run in the same circles. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, that was, that was really good. Um, definitely a Coles notes version from, from your shed assessment, which yeah. is a fantastic um, program that Heidi has created that I'm going to uh, unshamelessly plug throughout <laughs> the episode because it, it, it was, it's so good. Um which it goes into a lot more in depth, but it sounds as you're describing all the symptoms, like there could be a lot of differential diagnoses going on with MCAS and histamine. Like how, 
how does a person tell that this is what they're actually going through? Yeah. It's usually by process of exclusion. (laughs) First of all, the majority of my clients who I have seen um, have already been to allergists and rheumatologists and neurologists, and they've kind of gone through the whole spectrum of of specialists um, and have had every possible blood test drawn. Uh, You know, they're having all of these symptoms and yet everything looks good. Mm-hmm. Like all the normal labs that are done look perfectly fine. Um, they might find that they feel a little bit better when they take an antihistamine, like if they take a Zyrtec or a Claritin uh, or a Pepsid or something like that, that they might feel a little bit better from that, but it doesn't really resolve what's going on. So um, what's remarkable to me is like, I'll have people who are bed bound who just cannot, you know, really function in their life. And yet all of their labs look perfect. Yeah. So it's a, it really is a process of exclusion. So you want to start with those things. I don't think, you know, I think there are our modern, modern medicine is there for a reason. And I think it's, it's, you know, we want to kind of rule out all the bad guys, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we want to rule out the cancers and, you know, the diseases processes and things like that first, you know, but if we can, we're still feeling terribly and we're having all of these kind of symptoms that don't really align with any particular disease process, then we want to maybe be thinking about, you know, this, this kind of sub <laughs> sub genre, which, you know, is of the mast cell activation or, you know, uh, more in relation to say microbiome issues that kind of feed into histamine intolerance. Um, that's where you're kind of looking at, you know, more in the naturopathic realm, I would say, um, maybe allergists who do specialize in this, um, who specialize in cell activation, there are more allopathic doctors who do, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, and they will do testing to test you specifically for mast cell activation. There are tests that you can do that are both, um, serum, like they'll take your blood or they'll take your urine mm-hmm. and they'll check to see if you're, if they can see that your mast cells are leaking, are you seeing, you know, uh, remnants of those, uh, those byproducts of, of the mast cell activation, they can diagnose you from that. You can't really diagnose histamine intolerance unless you kind of, there's a couple of blood tests, but I don't find them to be that reliable. I find that just exclusion of, um, histamine containing foods for a period of two weeks to probably be the gold standard there. And if you feel better, then you know that that's at least a, a player in what you're experiencing. With MCAS, I mean, there's, there's some issues too, with looking at biomarkers like blood, blood work and urine analyses, because it's quite uh, involved to reach that diagnosis. Oh yeah. What about taking like a mast cell stabilizer? Could that, help to give your primary care provider um, more insight that they're able to diagnose without having to do the blood work? Yeah. I mean, you know, getting to the mast cell stabilizer usually requires a a doctor that's already kind of on board with the idea, Mm -hmm. you know, so you're not going to just be able to take the mast cell stabilizer on your own. You could Mm -hmm. take something like over the counter, like quercetin or something like that, which can mm-hmm. help to stabilize mast cells, but they may not necessarily listen to that so much. So in yeah. order to get like a medication that has mast cell stabilizing effects, like something like chromalin sodium or catodifin, um, that requires the doctor's, you know, prescription. So yeah. um, usually where you start when you're trying to kind of figure this out is with the over-the-counter medications with things like Zyrtec or um, or Pepsid, H1, H2 blockers. Yeah. And 
how do you feel? Like, and if you find that some of your symptoms really reduce with that, and yet you're still experiencing some level of reactivity, that would then maybe trigger the next level, which is more of the medications. But again, your doctor needs to be on board for that. Yeah. So you kind of touched on this briefly about more of a, a natural, like going to see a naturopath. Um, how does conventional medicine view MCAS compared to more of the natural medicine world? Well, I mean, I, this is just from my perspective, you know, of what I see clinically, because all I work with these days is MCAS for the most yeah. part. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of doctors don't know about it. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, when I first learned about it, which was back in 2012, nobody knew about it. You had a little subset of mastocytosis and you had, yeah. you know, little societies and Dr. Theo Harides and, you know, Dr. Afrin doing their research, but nobody knew about this. And I worked in a rheumatology clinic and they didn't know about it. So it was a very little subset kind of thing. And I, while I, I see more and more, you know, um, knowledge building around it with time, because more and more people are experiencing this with time, um, then, you know, I think that that awareness is building, but I'd say in general, still, we're looking with a lack of awareness there, because mm -hmm. it is very, it's unusual, you know, and, and I think it's still viewed as rare, mm -hmm. you know, of like, well, that doesn't really happen to that many people, you probably don't have that. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, a lot of my clients get gaslit, honestly, yeah. you know, and I don't want to put that all in the medical profession, but a lot of my clients, you know, it's like, it's all in your head. It's, you know, here's your antidepressant. Like a lot of yeah. people with these situations are being told that, you know, they just need to reduce their stress and maybe they need to reduce their stress, <laughs> but, but, and that could be feeding in, but it's not necessarily the full picture. So that's where I would kind of, you know, more if I did generalize and, you know, of course there are going to be doctors who are like fully into it and fully aware of it and are willing to kind of like, Hey, yeah, let's go H1, H2 and mass cell stabilizers and really kind of get there. I'd say the naturopathic world is a little bit more onto it at this point. And maybe because it's reached their conferences more, um, maybe it's because, you know, we do get, you know, with, and I'll put we, because I, I do kind of feel more in the natural world, though I understand the allopathic world. I've worked in the allopathic world, you know, in rheumatology for a long time, but I'd say it's, you know, my heart, <laughs> my heart is more naturopathic, mm -hmm. <laughs> but um you know, we've been looking at source and cause the yeah. entire time. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I think the allopathic is more like just make all those symptoms go away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're like, yeah, we'll stabilize, but what's the root cause of what's driving all of this. And so I think, you know, we are, uh, there, there's a little bit more of an acceptance and an understanding and like, oh, this is a, this is a thing that needs to, and what can we do to kind of not just stabilize, but also get at the root cause of what's going on. So it's just, you know, same, you know, different perspectives. Yeah. Um, and I think it just depends upon the practitioner, honestly. Yeah. Well, that leads me into, that's a perfect segue into my next question. What are Why? some of the potential <laughs> root causes? Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Yep. Uh, it's many. And this is, this is what I do all day is try to figure out for each person, first of all, what, what it is they are experiencing, you know, is this an MCAS situation and then, or just a, you know, a, a dysregulated immune system. It can be different, kind of like the histamine intolerance. They can be a little bit different. Not everybody has MCAS, but, um, 
But, you know, and this kind of speaks to kind of the shed assessment idea of like thinking about, uh, and that's just an acronym I came up with to help myself <laughs> remember everything and to kind of put it into, you know, categories of what are the things that feed into a dysregulated immune system. Um, and so, you know, the first I, I look at is stress and, you know, that's a big word and that sometimes means everything. And sometimes it means nothing <laughs> because we're all kind of stressed. Yeah. And so, you know, we kind of have to think about, um, you know, acknowledging that the stress that we experience um, can triggers our immune system. It's just a part of what happens naturally. And when we don't have very many stressors going on in our life, when it's more acute, we experience a stress and then we go back to homeostasis and then we experience a stress, we go back to homeostasis. That's our more, what we've been kind of experiencing for most of our time here on earth. <laughs> mm -hmm. Then, you know, our immune system reacts and then our immune system goes back to homeostasis. Um, you know, fast forward to kind of our current, you know, madness, <laughs> where I don't know if we ever really get a break anymore. And, you know, we're kind of, you know, exposed to a lot of different stressors in our life, uh, yeah. whether that's global stressors of things, you know, we're coming out of a pandemic and, mm -hmm. and we're dealing with climate change and we're dealing with, you know, global divisiveness and political devices and social divisiveness. And that's just, you know, the milieu of where we exist. And then we layer into that our own personal um, stressors in our daily life, whether that's, you know, the relationships that are in our life or are the stressors of our jobs or, you know, the grief that we're experiencing from loss or divorce or, you know, any of whatever we are experiencing or just the day to day of I got a million things to do kind of stressors, um, you know, or the traumas that we've experienced in our lifetime that we still store in our body that is making us more um, susceptible to more inflammation later in life, like those stressors, um, you know, and then the information that we're taking in, you know, yeah. 24 seven all the time from our phones or our devices. And, you know, we're just, our, we're, we're flooding our body with something yeah. 24 seven. And so it, it that the, the, the body is listening to that. Mm -hmm. So if our nervous system is kind of constantly being processing and getting agitated or stimulated or overjoyed or traumatized or whatever, that body is kind of in that state of reactivity, reactivity, reactivity. And the longer that goes on for it kind of starts to create loops yeah. in uh, our neural plasticity. And, yeah. uh, you know, that limbic system, which regulates our fight or flight response starts to go more into a chronic fight or flight state. And what I found with, with MCAS, especially, or even chronic inflammation, especially, is that limbic system, you know, and we're seeing this quite a lot these days, uh, you know, that that chronicity of that stress continues to tell the body that it is not well, that mm -hmm. it is in a state of crisis. And so and that triggers the, you know, our protectors. And so, you know, a lot of what we do in terms of asking the, you know, bulldog of the immune system to to kind of calm down is asking that nervous system to uh, do less and to process less and to kind of change, you know, how it processes things. So I'd say that's probably number one yeah. um, and maybe why we're seeing more and more of this condition over the last, in my perspective, 10 to 15 years. Mm -hmm. So stress is big. That's number one, I would say. Um, number two is, um, I would put, I'll, I'll, I talked about the shed assessment. I'll go to the E of the shed assessment is our environment. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the environment, I think, is something that we are really, you know, we are being exposed to more than we ever have before as well. So when the body is stressed and the immune system's on and that's, you know, creating a dysregulation, we're also kind of dealing with, you know, what are, what's the air that we're breathing? What's the water we're drinking? What's coming in in our food supply? What's coming in on the things we put in our skin? You know, and it's just one more stressor on the body that the body has to both manage and detoxify. Mm -hmm. So what are we, uh, what's in, are we living in a moldy space? Do we have water damaged buildings? Are we, you know, are the uh, electromagnetic fields that we're exposed to every day uh, have increased from our phones and our wirelesses and things like that? So those are the other things that now we're taking more on. They're stressing that system. Mm -hmm. Um, Our diet is Mm -hmm. another thing. Are we eating well? Uh, And uh, are we, you know, you know, where are we at in that milieu? Are we eating a lot of sugar? Are we eating a lot of, you know, processed things? Um, And in some people, sometimes vegetables are problematic. Sometimes those histamines are problematic. It's getting complicated. It's (laughs) so complicated. Incredibly healthy diet can actually be problematic to your digestive tract. Mm. And, you know, and that's the, the other aspect of this is our digestive tract and the bacteria that reside in our digestive tract. They regulate our immune system. They regulate our neurotransmitters. You know, they regulate hormones. Mm -hmm. So much about the body they regulate. And when they're not happy and they respond adversely to stress, they respond adversely to the things that we're eating. They respond adversely to a a liver that doesn't detox very well or is overwhelmed. And we can kind of, and when they respond adversely to the medications or the antibiotics that we take. Yeah. So, you know, like create like the, the, the microbiome aspect of things is huge. And, huge. you know, we, we talk a lot about that and that feeds into food intolerances and more histamine issues and more. And so you can kind of see how all of these things can really, you know, we're, we're under a lot more stress than we ever have been before. But we have to define what those stressors are. It's not yeah. just stress. It's like, what, you know, what, what is our personal kind of milieu? What are we responding to? And, you know, where do we need to be kind of looking to kind of help to regulate so that our body isn't always in the state of response, reactivity and protection. Mm. And I love how you put stress as the first component of your shed assessment. And you actually mention it for every single um, root cause that you go through. Yeah. Uh, and it's not just because I'm biased studying psychology. It's <laughs> maybe there's a little bit of bias. Um, yeah. Right. Okay, ever be bias free. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, even how you said eating healthy can be a stressor. I mean, if someone is manic about eating healthy or what they think is healthy, um, they could be, you know, really restricting their diet and that could be a stress on the body. Like there's all these other mental health issues that could, you know, be a cause, they could be an effect, like you said. So uh, yeah, stress is a very ambiguous word, but it means different things to different people. Yeah, And I do like how you say like, all of these factors can be a stress on the body. So it kind of does come back down to stress. Just is it emotional? Is it physical? Is it spiritual? Yeah. Right. Is it, yeah. Is it? Yeah. Exactly. Is it psychological? Is it traumatic? Mm-hmm. Is it environmental? Mm-hmm. Is it what we're eating? Is it what we're you know? And I find 
you know, it's, it's usually, a, you know, a, a constellation of things. When we get to the point of mast cell activation, it's probably all of it. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's generally where, where the system has gotten so dysregulated that it just can't manage any of it anymore. Like mm -hmm. it can't imagine, it can't manage the smell of the garlic on the stove without going into a reactive space because it's just some one more stimulate <laughs> stimulant that it's like, please stop, stop stimulating me anymore. I just, I, because there's just too much coming at it. And it's just decided to kind of say like, no, we're done, you know, and, and we're here to protect you, but you can't, you know, and, and unfortunately it can mean you can't eat that anymore and you yeah. can't eat any food anymore in some of my clients, you know, yeah. it becomes this total shutdown, but usually that's as a result of all, many of these things, you know, happening often the environmental, you know, thing that we're, it, it's pretty common. Like at, at one point I realized, um, or I made the observations. This wasn't for everybody. I made the observation. It was sort of this trifecta of like, um, I was under a massive amount of stress. I got sick. So there was a viral component there. And, you know, that was kind of triggering the immune system even more. And then I took an antibiotic. Mm. And the antibiotic was like, you know, and, and, you know, maybe they already had some digestive issues going on, but oftentimes antibiotic can be sort of the, the cherry, you know, yes. on top or rather the, you know, whether the top of the iceberg or whatever, where it's just sort of like, it just goes, and then everything kind of goes from there because those bacteria were, that were working for us, yeah. you know, that were there to support the immune system or do whatever, you know, we, we took down the last of them, or we just really compromise the the um integrity of our digestive tracts and those microbiome and it would just kind of went from there and we never never uh recovered so it's usually multiple things that it's like the perfect storm that kind of occurs and you know it's this event and then that's often where i see mcas really get triggered i had a surgery it was a really you know physical event and then i had lots of antibiotics and it was massively stressful you know, okay, there you go. Something like that. COVID, long COVID. We're looking at MCAS. Yeah. Because long COVID is, you know, not only is it a really intense virus, and fortunately it's weakened, you know, over the course of time, but especially earlier, not just the intensity of that virus and how it impacted our immune system and put it, but also the fear yeah. that it instilled in us, right? Am yeah. I going to die from this? Yeah. Is this my death sentence? Is this it? And, you know, we still are a little like, you know, people are still dying from it, you know, less so, but you know, there's still that kind of like, is this going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? And so it really, I see a lot of long COVID because of that, not just the immune system action and the stress to the body, but also the emotional stress that it creates. One thing that I thought, uh, sorry, yeah. it just takes a while to kind of un un unwind from that. Yeah. One thing that I thought was really interesting that you said in a podcast I heard you on was when you're working in the rheumatology clinic, you notice that a lot of your patients who were really suffering had a history of trauma. Yeah. I'd love for you to talk about the role that trauma plays. I know we talked about like a dysregulated nervous system, yeah. but could trauma really be the root cause for some people? 
I'd say yeah, potentially. I mean, is it for everybody? No, but you know, I, and I do assess for that. Um, but I do find that a lot of my clients had early childhood trauma. And yeah. if you look at the research, there's correlation. Those who have early childhood trauma are more inclined to have inflammation later in life. Yeah, the ACE score. And yeah, so I think that you know, so so there's that piece, and I kind of think about you know, I've kind of already talked about this, but it's the idea of like, you know, when we have that heightened experience, that trauma, you know, that, that when we experience a trauma, we really go to a heightened place. Like our, our nervous system learns and it understands how to go to such a heightened place. And it doesn't forget that, right? It's storing it in a different part of our brain. It says like, all right, next time this goes, goes down again, I'm going to be able to get to this place higher and be able to get out of this more quickly. I'm going to be able to fight it more strongly. Every With every trauma that we experience, we're learning something to help us survive the next one. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're always kind of getting into that more heightened space. And so, you know, we are not trauma free in this life, you know? So if we start that early at a time when we are not really cognizant of being able to how to manage that, and we're mm -hmm. storing that in different areas of our body, we store our traumas, whether yep. it's in the brain or, you know, then we become predisposed to digestive issues or migraines or skin breakouts, or, you know, it starts to manifest itself. You know, we all kind of manifest. I know I, mine's in my gut. When I mm -hmm. get stressed, I get more, I can't eat anything and I can't digest anything and everything yeah, kind of too. just stops. Right. You know, so we all kind of do that in different places or I can't sleep, you know, all of those things. So, you know, so the earlier when we're not able to really kind of consciously be able to kind of work through it, and we just kind of the brain is just kind of storing that with each new trauma, we're going to a higher place and we're mm -hmm. creating pathways, neural pathways that are more inclined to react so that when we get, you know, stressors in our adulthood or when we are exposed to COVIDs or viruses that are pretty intense in our system, or we have surgeries or we get into motor vehicle accidents or any of these other, or we have, um, you know, grief and loss or, you know, or other, you know, traumas that we experience later in life, you know, body knows what to do. You know, it's, it's learned and it's going to be more inclined to kind of reach a higher space with each yeah. new one. And the more that happens, that's where we're working with the, that neural plasticity. And again, that's where we're gonna kind of potentially get into a, the chronicity of the fight or flight response. So, you know, I'd say the longer it's been with us, the more experience we have with us, the higher and more intense things become with each new trauma. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. what I see as I go along. And that's why I see it just kind of takes most of those people where it's that perfect storm yeah. you know, things. It's like, yes, that happened, but it also, the thing that happened five years ago and the thing that happened 10 years before that and the thing, and then the, what was going on in your home, you know, and, uh, you know, earlier, it was like, it's all tied together. It's all the same experience. So even though we might've had 10 years in between where we were perfectly fine and felt great and didn't have any immune issues, what, why all of a sudden now it's like, yeah because the body remembers the body knows it's the same body didn't just mm. go away mm. still something where we store and so we you know are always going to revert and return back to that in some way yeah and you know things don't happen 
in an instant, right? They are, they're a slow burn, right? Dementia oh, yeah. doesn't happen in an instant. It that's right. starts when you're in your thirties and your forties and your fifties. That's um, right. Diabetes doesn't happen in an instant. So I think it's important to chronic pain, right? Like all of these things, yeah. um, when you're looking at like MCAS or histamine intolerance, like what you're saying is this didn't just happen. People might nope. say, well, why now? But it's like, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it typically is building over the course of time in smaller little events that you're not really aware of that you tend to recover from. Mm-hmm. Things come up, you recover, but maybe things are kind of changing slowly without you really knowing or, oh, it's just age or it's like, yeah, that shoulder thing or, yeah, I'm a little gassy to that or, mm-hmm. you know, you can kind of mm-hmm. like just kind of, you know, kind of put them off to the side because they don't really get in the way of your functionality yeah. until maybe something big tips you over. And mm. so it might be this total surprise of like, where did this come from? It's like, well, if you, if, you know, and I ask people for their health histories, it's like, well, a year ago that happened. And a couple of years before that, that happened. And they, they just don't tie it all together. And then what we're also up against too, is like, cause I'm a dietitian, right. By, by training is like, is the food intolerance aspect of things. It's yeah. like a lot of people come to me because they're not tolerating food anymore. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're trying to like expand that diet out. And, um, you know, uh, that's all part of the immune dysregulation and the microbiome dysregulation. So you're trying to kind of figure it all out. But they're like, look, I never had issues with that food before. Like I, I was able to eat whatever I wanted before. And, you know, and, and, you know, well, maybe little bits I've been able to, you know, things were falling off bit by bit. So are we going to be able to fully get you back to where you were before? Um, or is this going to have, is this something that's just going to have, is, is it a new, uh, is it a new landscape at this point? And usually it's going to be a new landscape and we're going to have to kind of change then what your practices are. We're going to have to change then what your diet is. We're going to have to make those changes, which I think naturally do change over the course of time and with age, but these kind of conditions basically make it so that we kind of have to really change everything. We have to change how we manage all of it, not just the the dietary aspect and what our bodies are are capable of managing, but we have to think about, you know, what are what are all the practices that are going to need to change so that I can tell my body everything's okay, that I can tell my body that you know it's it doesn't have to protect itself so much. So what are the things that I have to remove that are telling my body things are not okay, and what are the things what are the practices that I need to incorporate? that are telling it it is. And and then how do we then kind of create a new sense of normal, quote unquote, for the body? Um, yeah. That that was actually going to be my next question. We're on the same wavelength. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Is, is once you get that diagnosis of MCAS, you realize that's what's going on. Is that a forever thing? Can the body, should the body get back to where it was uh, are we destined to be canaries in the coal mine? And a little bit of self-disclosure, I have MCAS. So ah, yeah, it, got it. Okay. It is why I, and I have a, a conventional doctor who knows all about it. Fantastic. He, yeah. he was trained in the UK, which is probably why. Why? <laughs> Canada <laughs> is sad when it comes to that. Um, but uh, so I, I mean, I, I have clients that struggle with histamine issues. I myself have 
gone through the whole MCAS thing and mm. have come out on the other side. Um, but I feel, and I don't know what your professional opinion is. I think it's something that I will have to manage forever. Mm. What do you think? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Yeah. That's my first, you know, because I've seen people recover mm-hmm. and I've seen people not recover. So it's a, you know, I, I guess it it's depends. A hard <laughs> like, yeah, like I hate any... that answer. It depends, but it kind of depends. Like any good scientist says, it depends. It depends. Yeah. It's like, you know, because you can, I, and I say that to my clients. I'm like, look, you know, I, I can't promise you anything you know my my goal is to you know help you regain as much you know uh, as much of your health as we possibly can so that you can kind of feel like you can function in this life happily and and heartily and you know without pain or without reactivity and to be able to go out to a meal without feeling like you can't eat anything and you know to be able to kind of you know engage and um you know, I think it really depends upon the level of dysregulation and like, mm-hmm. what are all the aspects that are feeding into it? Mm-hmm. I think that's the key thing. Like what, well, what is it? Like, what are, what's the thing that's driving the MCAS or what are the things that yeah. are driving the MCAS? And, you know, um, whether that's the, you know, the limbic system aspect of things, whether that is the, um, you know, the uh, environmental aspect of things, the microbiome aspect of things, the food aspect of things, like, what are all the things that are kind of feeding into either the liver, I spent a lot of time with the liver, um, because oftentimes detoxification is really dysregulated in those with MCAS. That's one of the major issues of also what's kind of feeding into what's going on. Um, So it's just, I can't, can't detox. (laughs) Um, So I think it just kind of depends on, you know, what are all the pieces that are at play for you specifically? And how can we optimize each of those pieces? Mm. Um, And then, you know, what does that, you know, what, then how you doing, you know, and is there more that needs to be done or not? Um, And I I don't want to, I don't want to put a downer on it saying like, I'm going to have this forever because I'm actually, (laughs) I'm I'm in a good place. And over the years I've discovered, um, how, what things are are driving it. And if something comes up, I'm like, okay, there's that. And maybe I'm, you know, lacking a little bit on this. It usually comes down to stress, Mm -hmm. uh, right. Like it, it, oh, it's generally never about the food. Um, usually like, no, (laughs) well, not never, but yeah, you get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a symptom. The the food intolerance is a symptom of the dysregulation. Totally. Totally. So I don't want to put that in people's mind. Like it's hopeless for you, but the other question is like, do we want to lose that sensitivity that so many people with MCAS have? Cause it's like, there was a point where I couldn't even sit by someone that was wearing perfume without, my whole face starting to burn and be in pain. Like no one knew what was going on with me. Right. And it was a atypical migraine is what I first got diagnosed with. Cause it it was just like all in, it was like face burning. It was crazy. Yeah. Uh, Now I, I can, but it's like, I still can't walk by bath and body works like without (laughs) running by it. (laughs) It's horrible. I'm like, I don't, I would crumble and die if I had to work in there. Like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. (laughs) Like, do we want to lose that sensitivity to, to those things? 
What do you mean? Do you want to lose? Do you want to lose that sensitivity? What do you mean by that? Like, I, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is trying to see the bright side of mm. being overly sensitive because yeah. it can be hard to see the bright side when you're in the thick of a chronic yeah. issue. Yeah, sure. I think it just depends on, you know, whether it gets in the way of your functionality For sure. in this world. Right. So, you know, if, if, you know, I have a number of people that can't really engage in the outside world because of that chemical sensitivity. Yeah. And so, you know, while there, there, you know, there can be a bright side to that at the same time, there can also be an isolating aspect of For that. Sure. And so what we're, we try to do is, and that's where I usually work and recommend the limbic system retrainings and things like that to kind of retrain the brain away from the the hypersensitivity as much as possible. And oftentimes that at least is, is beneficial in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so, you know, I guess it depends on the person and whether they're happy with that, <laughs> you know, if that, is that something that works for them or not? But I guess, you know, I think that um, the, the, where I, where, where maybe the bright spot lies in this is that I feel like it does kind of force us into practices, any kind of dysregulation, any kind of illness, anything like that forces us into different practices that are more beneficial to us. And, you know, so whether that's MCAS, um, that one's sort of more severe because it's so in our face all the time of like, yeah. I'm reacting to this, I'm reacting to that, and da, 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 you know, and so we really have to kind of figure out the medical mystery in order to function. Um, but, you know, if we have a, you know, whether, you know, diabetes or, or diagnosis or cancer or something like that, oftentimes we change who we are, you know, if, uh, and we change our practices, we start, you know, we, we disconnect, we start meditating, we get rid of toxic relationships. We, yep. you know, we change our practice. We, we start eating differently. We, you know, all the things that maybe are, are benef- more beneficial for us. I think our bodies can help guide us there. Yeah. And so that's what I kind of try to think about with MCAS is like, what is it, what, what as the practitioner, I'm like, what is it telling me? you know, yeah. as a practitioner and what is it telling you as a person who experiences it and what, you know, can, can you listen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's part of the, when you're looking at the the triggers, right. All the things that, that tell you to react, you know, what is, what is that saying to me? Well, it's something about, you know, my, my system is trying to protect me from that. My mm-hmm. nervous system's on, on overdrive, um, you know, what is that? What, how can I gather that information? And then what can I do about that yeah. to change that so that if I'm not happy with that, it doesn't, then I can maybe quiet that. I might still be inclined to kind of move in that direction. If I lose that practice, the practice has to hold. We can't just do the practice for a year or a month or whatever and expect it all to change. Mm-hmm. It really is about, am I willing to kind of really change how I exist on this planet <laughs> given all of the stressors that are coming at me on a daily basis? Am I willing to kind of like exist in a different world almost? Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like we're kind of having to, for those who are more inclined to experience this, you really do have to remove yourself in many ways to be fully free from yeah. it. Yeah. And it's a real challenge. So I'm not sure if I answered your question there, but it's sort of like, I think it, you know, just depends on, on, um, I think your, your, your sense of kind of creating something beneficial from that, I think is terrific. 
Yeah. And I think that, you know, and I, that's the, that's the best you can do from a limbic system retraining perspective, yeah. <laughs> right? Turn it into something beneficial and learning for yourself. Um, but if it is something that you can't control and it's something that keeps you isolated and, and away from other people and, and, and kind of leads you down that other path of, you know, depression and isolation, then, you know, what can we do to kind of help? Absolutely. Yeah. Guide absolutely. You out of that, yeah. Basically. Yeah. And I really appreciate your approach too, because you have more of that conventional background being a dietitian and then, you know, being, um, a nutritionist, like you, you have best of the both worlds. And I love how you never condemn, you know, on any of the podcasts that I've listened to you on, like, if you need to use a mast cell stabilizer to get through the day or an antihistamine to get through the day, like get through the day, right? Like if you can't even get out of bed, like come on, like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Get out of bed. Yeah. And you react to quercetin and supplements and all that, you know, the stuff that we're like, no, I want to do it naturally. (laughs) 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 That's triggering a mast cell reaction, but the, you know, Zyrtec gets you up and out and it's like, you know, stabilization is key because if you can't stabilize, you know, and that's, that's why we have medications. It's why we have OTCs, why we have all those things and supplements can help too. But, you know, if, if you can't stabilize, um, that's, a, that's a real issue. Stabilization is number one. That's yeah. the number one kind of rule of thumb, whether you're working with a naturopath or you're working with an allopathic dog, number one is stabilization. What is it going to take to stabilize you so that you can at least be a part of this world and, and function? So no, and whatever that takes. So all, you know, every single one of my clients is on something. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) you know whether that's a medication but you know it it really it comes down to what do they tolerate a and we say like you know do you tolerate it whenever i'm introducing something new in whether it's a food or supplement or medication like a do you tolerate it because that's the first thing if you don't tolerate it we got to move on yeah um and a lot of my clients don't tolerate a lot yeah um and then b is it effective and you know if their tolerance there is effective and then and then c what's the dosage that you get maximum efficacy yeah. So that's how you read a supplement. That's how you read a food. And that's how you read a, a medication. And if you can get to the point of, you know, finding something that you both tolerate and is effective for you at the dosage that works. Awesome. Hold it there. Cause I know there's a lot of, you know, descending voices, uh, you know, just, uh, just, yeah. Voices that are saying, um, you know, don't take that antihistamine because it's going to create more histamine issues for you. Um, don't take that because it's going to create this for you. Don't take that because, but for the moment, okay, maybe the goal is not to stay on that for the rest of your life, but for the moment, if it helps you to feel better, all for it. Yeah. So, yeah. So what are, in your shed assessment, you go through a lot of different like supplements that you can take. So we're not going to recant it all on, <laughs> on this podcast. Cause you really <laughs> go into it. And, and I encourage everyone who's listening, who thinks this is me. Like I'm sensitive. I can't tolerate things. I'm having all these issues. All my blood work turns out fine. I've been to every practitioner. I would encourage you to get this assessment because it could open a lot of doors for you. And send off a lot of light bulbs in your head. Um, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to go over all the ones that you discussed, but I did want to ask your opinion on low dose naltrexone Mm, for MCAS. Have you used that with your patients? Uh, what do you know about that? 
Well, first, first of all, uh, so I don't prescribe, so I, yeah. I don't, you know, prescribe that just so you know, but, but have I uh, seen it clinically and, and, um, and used in those with MCAS? Absolutely. It's used quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had this conversation yesterday with a client where we kind of dove into low dose naltrexone, um, which has been used for um, opioid addiction and getting off of heroin and, and, and things. But they've also found it to be really beneficial as far as kind of uh, calming inflammation in the body. And for some, it can help to regulate the mast cell and calm the mast cell down. Um, it can help with constipation. It can help with you know pain regulation. It can help with a number of different things for some people. Um, also has a lot of side effects to Mm -hmm. it. So, you know, it's like any medication, I guess I would say, um, you know, uh, I, I don't see it as sort of the be all and the end all. I think it's something to consider trying and seeing how you do. And if you're going to try it, you start at very low dosages. The optimal dose there is 4.5 milligrams. And so I always encourage practitioners to start at like 0.5, just always start very low. And, And the reason is because, um, first of all, it's, it's, not only is it a, it's a powerful medication, I do see a fair amount of reactivity to it. So even though the idea is to kind of bring this in to stabilize the mast cells, it can also have a fair amount of side effects. So you want to really kind of ease into that one and sort of like just barely give it and then build very slowly up to that 4.5 if you can even get there. Um, the side effects are often neurological, so it can kind of ramp things up a little for people. It can give you nightmares and can get in the way of sleep, which is why we often give it at nighttime. Um, but, uh, but, um, uh, fatigue, there's a lot of side effect to it. So I would say like 50, 50, like half of my clients are like best thing I ever took. And then the other half are like, I couldn't get it in because I reacted to it too strongly or I didn't notice a thing. So I don't know if that's really helpful or not. (laughs) No, it is. uh, I just (laughs) I just read something. I read a headline somewhere that was like LDN, you know, the the end of MCAS or something. I was like, "Uh." I don't know about that. I say it's worth it. You know, it's worth it to try it just like any of this stuff. But I, I don't know. Maybe I just, I'm, I've been doing this 20 years now. Mm-hmm. And so it's a long time to observe thousands and thousands of people, you know, with this kind of syndrome, collection of syndromes, a collection of symptoms that lead to the syndrome. Right. And so, and everybody's so different within it that there's never one recipe Yeah. because why they have their MCAS is always different. Yeah. And each person is different. And that's the frustration of it, mm. of saying like, do this supplement, do yeah. that medication, do this over the counter. You know, it's like, you know, half of my people don't tolerate the H1, H2 bloggers because of all the junk that's in there. Yeah. Um, and sometimes when they suppress their histamine too much, it actually triggers more reactivity. It's like, it's trying to kind of just, it's this navigation and that's what I, when I did the shed assessment, it was really, cause it's a lot of information. I mean, Lots. you know, anybody who's interested in doing it, it's like, it's not like, yeah, do this, this, and this. You'll be How good. How many hours is that? Is it like six, six. hours? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a lot, <laughs> but it was hard to kind of put it into this sort of like LDN. It's the magic yeah. thing. Yeah, no, You yeah. had to kind of step back, you know, I mean, just even in this hour we've been talking it's a lot of stuff to consider, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to really kind of sit back and place yourself amongst all of this and go like, well, where do I exist within this? 
where do I connect to here? Because I might not connect to the moldy home environments. Whereas the next person said, yeah, after that home flooded, everything got worse. And maybe that's the thing. You know, I don't connect into the trauma thing. I didn't have really experienced trauma and I'm pretty laid back. And I'm well, okay, maybe that's not your thing, but maybe you did move into the moldy home or maybe you do have, you know, there's a genetic component or maybe you do have dysbiosis. So maybe you do have gut issues and to consider, you know, looking into that more. Maybe that's triggering what's going on. So I feel like you kind of have to place yourself into this kind of larger picture and connect, see what connects to you so that you can put together your own recipe and go like, yeah, I think I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to do that. And then at least you have a little bit of a blueprint and, and, and a way to move forward. So it's not just the Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, text, you know, textbook, take this medication or take that or take that. I just see, have seen every possible reputation of reaction and tolerance and benefit. And, um, you know, you, you know, I've resolved, you know, they're totally resolved and out of it and, you know, uh, you know, they're better, but, you know, still tend to, or they're still bed bound and we're just trying to get one food into them. Yeah. Or we're trying to get them off of, you know, parental nutrition or enteral nutrition, you know, like yeah. that's the spectrum yeah. that, you know, you kind of have to work with. And, and that's why I feel I wanted to kind of create that program to kind of say like, all right, here's, here's, here are all the things to think about. If someone's listening to this and they're like, okay, what are my next steps? Like, what would be your suggestion for someone who's brand new to this? You know, are there questions for them to ask their physician or their the naturopath that they're working with? Like what, what could they do to start taking action and being an advocate for themselves? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I mean, first of all, to, to just kind of sit first with anything that's connected with you today, anything, any of the like, yeah, stress, mm-hmm. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know, I mean, some people will just immediately go like, yeah, that's it. I mean, I know that's it. Right. Okay. Well then, you know, is that a conversation with your doctor or your naturopath or is that a conversation with your therapist or yeah. is that, a, or do you need, do, is that someone to seek out or, you know, should I, you know, think about, uh, you know, taking up meditation or limbic system retraining or, you know, it's like, so we kind of have to think about where we kind of exist within all of this. So that's the kind of the the first thing I'd say is like, kind of, you know, get intuitive first before you start Mm -hmm. reaching out. And then if it's like, well, and I feel like I need more conversation here with my professional, like go to your doctor and say, Hey, you know, we haven't really, if you've been working with your doctor and you, all the test results are, are fine. Like we haven't really kind of considered this possibility of mast cell activation. Could we do some, there, there are MCAS panels and your doctor should know what they are. If they're not, they can look them up. LabCorp has them. Um, and, you know, can we do a little extra testing and just see, you know, what that is? And, and uh, if you haven't seen an allergist, that might be a better person to talk to mm-hmm. um, simply because they are a little bit more dialed in now. Like 10 years ago, they weren't, but I think allergists are a little bit more dialed into the MCAS uh, world. And so, um, that might be a better referral at this point so that they can start working with you and guiding you through H1s, H2s, if that's necessary, or mast cell stabilization or leukotriene inhibitors or LDNs or all of that kind of thing. Right. So kind of, you know, so those would be more of like the medical professionals that I would probably kind of be working with, right. Let's get some lab work done and maybe referral to allergy if you haven't done that yet. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then 
preferably an allergist who understands MCAS, not all of yeah. them. Yeah. And then if you're working with your naturopaths, then, you know, and, and you guys have just been kind of, you know, and each naturopath is different. Some are just primary care and they're just kind of doing general stuff, you know, take it to them and say like, you know, I, I, is there a possibility I could have histamine intolerance or mast cell activation? And if that's something that they're not really familiar with, then ask them for a referral of someone in their community who, you know, who is a little bit more of a specialist in chronic health conditions who might specialize in Lyme disease or mold toxicity or in MCAS specifically. Usually that's a different type of naturopath. Um, than just, I don't want to say just to primary care, then, then primary care, right? That's more just kind of working with the general day-to-day -day stuff. So you might want to kind of talk with them about that. And if they are keen to that, then they can do, depending upon what state you're in, um, they can, you know, order blood work. They can work the, the um, you could start working with supplementation for quercetins or nettles or, you know, things like that. You could start working the LDN aspect. Naturopaths love the LDN. Yeah, um, they do. Yeah. <laughs> they love the LDN, you know, and you can start kind of, but you might need to guide them and direct them a little bit to start thinking about that. Um, and then, you know, again, any kind of naturopath typically who specializes in this will start doing more uh, functional testing. They might uh, look to see if you have SIBO, like bacterial overgrowth yeah. of the small intestine, because that's pretty common in histamine intolerance. They might look to see if you have major dysbiosis or fungal overgrowth in the large intestine. So they might do some stool testing. Um, they might look to see um, if you do have mold in the system or if there is Lyme markers or things like that very common in mast cell activation as well. So, you know, they might go a little bit, they will go a little bit more into the functional testing. And honestly, I feel like that's where you're probably going to find a little bit more gold um, because those things I think are going to be kind of delving a little bit more into source and, and root cause and things that you could potentially um, treat that have the potential to resolve your histamine intolerance or at least really suppress mast cell activation instead of just the general sort of like medications that get you through the day, the stabilizers, yeah. they're just yeah. going to stabilize you. Totally. So naturopathy, I feel like is a little bit more tuned in there if you're working with the right practitioners, but find that right practitioner. Yeah. Yeah. And supplements too. They're just managing symptoms. So they're not, they're not getting to the root cause. That's when you're looking at like SIBO or hormonal issues, which can be driven by gut issues. And That's right. And that was a part of the H of the shed assessment, yes. which we didn't get into because it's kind of its own little, little piece over there. It's just that sometimes I do see hormones drive and hormones impact the mast cell issue. But a lot of the times the mast cell issue is adversely impacting the hormones and they're just right. kind of feeding into each other. But that's the H part of your shed assessment, which we did not get to. Today, yes. Oh, I know. Yeah, I so much. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could just talk to you for forever, but I want to be respectful of your time. I just like to finish each podcast asking my guests some special questions. Uh -oh. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes. What? If, if you found out the world was ending in a year, how would you spend the rest of your time? Mm. Wow. That's a good question. I mean, I feel like I would and I'd be spending it with my family, I think. I mean, I like the idea of like traveling to places that I've never been to before, but probably everybody else would be doing that too. <laughs> it's like, and maybe it wouldn't. <laughs> and you're like, oh, this isn't what I really thought it was going to be because everybody it's else. It's very practical. It. Yeah. <laughs> so ultimately, 
uh, you know, I think I would, uh, you know, would I work? I think I would, I don't know if I would work anymore. (laughs) You know, I mean, I'd probably be stepping outside of it. And I think that I'd be kind of spending time with my family. I think it's like, if I had to really kind of think about it and, you know, healing what needs to be healed and, or just, you know, really kind of taking that time to just be with, especially if we're kind of spread out, I might take that time to just go visit and be, I might eat some really good food, you know, just like really kind of, you know, if it was still available, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. it's so funny. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about like, I thought about this the other day, what would be my last meal? Yeah. You know, what would be my last meal? And my last meal would be like, a really good like homemade bread and just a really good salty butter and um, a, a, an amazing like a uh, 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 coffee, like an espresso with just a lovely milk, like, like that would be my, my thing. And so maybe I would just like really, really just, you know, engage with my food a little bit more. Um, I love it already, but I like, you know, I just sort of like maybe do what I could to just like really, really enjoy what I did have left before it was time to move on. Well, another good segue. What is the best meal you've ever eaten? (laughs) Um, my, well, my favorite meal, I was just down in California and, um, and we went out and, uh, for breakfast, and I, my favorite meal is a really good croissant, like just a good croissant. And like you go to Paris or whatever, just like the good croissant and just a really good coffee, a good espresso. I like yeah. a macchiato, which has like the traditional macchiato with like the, the sweet espresso and just that little bit of milk on top and real milk, like whole milk yeah. on top. Like that and a croissant is my absolute favorite meal. So, and I think the best I, and, and I went to this place in Venice and I swear it was some of the best coffee I ever had. It was one of the best croissants I ever had. I don't know mm-hmm. when it, what it was, but where it was, but my sister took me there and I was just like, I left there and I'm like, that was one of my favorite things I've ever had in my life. I just love simple, but I just, something that you could just hits all aspects of just the tongue and the senses and all of that. And that's what just like buttery bread and coffee, like really good, sweet espresso does for me. Yeah. So if you it. could, if you could only pick one food to eat for the rest of your life, what would it be? <laughs> what would it be? Ew, I don't know. I get sick of food pretty easily. I'd be like, this is delicious. And then like a week later, I'm like, I'm sick of that. Um, I'm thinking through the foods that I eat, but it might just be like be like bread and butter. You can't go wrong with bread and butter. You just I'm can't. telling you, I, just, I keep coming back to it. Bread and butter. And then like croissants, you know, that type of thing. I mean, it's just, it hits you and it holds you for just with the, the butter, holds you for like long period of time. And it's just, it's sweet and it's every fat, it's everything. I yeah. just, I love it so much. It's my favorite. Yes. I don't eat it very much just because, you know, you can only eat so much and after a while you get tired of it. So I like to just kind of pepper it in and out. But man, when I do it, I try to like get good stuff. Yeah. It's delicious. What, yeah. what's the favorite, what's your favorite travel destination? Um, favorite travel destination right now. It, it's been like Europe and the pa- like Paris and the pa- I love Paris a lot. I love Spain a lot. Um, but right now it's Mexico and we've gone to Mexico city, uh, and kind of like more of the historic aspects of Mexico. And I'm, I'm learning Spanish. I'm a year into mm. learning Spanish. And I just, I have this real draw to like going to, especially Mexico city. 
Um, there's something about it. I love going out to Teotihuacan. I love the food. I love the people. I love the language. I love just the culture there. Um, and then Oaxaca, like that, that kind of that old colonial kind of, you know, old Mexican towns, not so much the, the coastal, but just like that, the food, like the food in these places is amazing. Mm. And I just, I kind of just love to kind of go be there. And so I'm really excited to kind of go back, maybe knowing a little bit more of the language and like wanting to kind of just engage a little bit more instead of just kind of being on the outside. But right now that's kind of where I'm, I'm focused. I love it. Very cool. Very cool. What is the lie you tell yourself most often? <laughs> oh, oh God. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm not aging. <laughs> <laughs> like you look in the mirror and you kind of like, you know, put your face into a place that looks not like you're <laughs> tilt up, <laughs> tilt up. Like, yeah, right. Oh, the, the, this isn't sagging underneath my chin. Like, yeah, or this, yeah, like that. And then you like, you know, get out and you see a picture of yourself or you catch a glimpse of yourself. You're like, oh, yeah, I am. Yeah, <laughs> like, shoot. Yeah, I know, right? And then it's like, all right. And I'm 50, almost 55. And you're like, you know, you get to that point where you're, it's that, that shifting point where you're like, here we go. You know, and it's, it's ch- tough when you're trying to kind of like balance it of, you know, of acceptance mm-hmm. of that. And so mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest lie that I'm telling myself right now. I'm sure I've, I've told myself many other lies in the past, but right now it's a lot about like, no, you still, you, you still, you're still young and which I am right. <laughs> 55, but, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> and what advice would you like to leave our listeners with in regard to their health? Um, you know, I just say it's, it's always a good idea to take stock and just sit back and observe, you know, all these things that we've talked about today of like, you know, where can, where, where are the things that I need to release uh, from my life that I need to maybe fix in my life or disconnect from in my life that are kind of drawing on me that mm-hmm. are maybe, or that I might be drawing away from someone else. Like where are the things that I need to kind of disconnect from um, that take away a lot of my energy and a lot of my joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and then what are the things that I need to be opening myself to and where I can kind of replace whatever I've kind of lost the things that do draw on my energy. And what are the things that I can replace that with that actually provide something to me, uh, and that do offer, um, that offers myself a sense of joy. Um, I feel like that's a really important piece. I think we're kind of full of stuff that stresses us out. And, um, and yes, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of things to be stressed about, but it's also a question of what, where, how can we disengage from that so that we mm-hmm. have room and space to open ourselves up to things that actually do provide to us. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And where can people find you? I'm over at uh, foodlogic.org. And uh, I see uh, clients one-on-one. Um, so, um, and then I also created my classes. So uh, you can have a look. Some are for professionals, but are appropriate for anybody just looking to learn. And then others are, are for the public that are um, a little less petty. Um, but, um, but yeah, if you're kind of looking, if you feel like you, you know, connect to this conversation and you're looking for more tools to work with, then uh, the classes can be of some benefit. Or if you want to work together, I'm, I'm there as well. So uh, yeah, it's foodlogic.org. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so yeah. much. And I will, I will just say one more time, the shed assessment 
is a really great place to start because the functional medicine route and naturopathic route can be quite expensive and a lot of people can't afford that. And I don't want anyone to feel like they don't have access to information. Um, The amount of work that you put in for the price that you charge is really incredible. I just have to say that. And, and it was really beneficial for me. Uh, And I had already like done a lot of those things, but after I heard you, I just thought I, I need to know more. Mm. And it was very beneficial, a wonderful place to start. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on the show. Um, I'm sure our listeners are going to get so much out of today. Yay. All right. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thanks. Okay. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you gained better insight into how you can be the healthiest version of yourself that you can be. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please leave me a review as your reviews get this message of better health out there. You can also follow me on Instagram at Lena Jade's Healthy Life, where I post fitness, nutrition, and psychology content. All right, you guys, that is it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode. And as you go throughout your day, always remember, you are powerful over your health.